Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Scottish Clans podcast. I'm Clint Edwards, and again, I will be your host as we discuss this most striking of episodes in Scottish history, the Massacre of Glencoe. So, in getting into this episode, I do want to mention that I have had my family here in Monterey with me. You see, we've been, for those of you who have not heard other episodes where I've talked about this, my family has been, has been, uh, we're, we're, we're not, I'm here in Monterey learning a language for the Army, and they're back in Utah with my parents, and I don't get to see them very often. In fact, uh, yeah, not very often is a good way to put that. So they came out, this is my, this last week has been my mid-course break, and I just said goodbye to them, and it was tough. We had a great week, but how that's pertinent to you all tuning into this podcast is, if you are amongst the, um, I don't know, half a dozen or so that are <laughs> waiting for the next episode to come out, you had to wait a little bit longer on account of my, my visit, my, my guests. So thank you for tuning in now, whether you were waiting for the next episode to come out or whether this is your first time or whether you tune in occasionally and see if there's any, anything interesting going on. Thank you for joining me today. And wow, we've got a well, quite a topic to cover today. The Massacre of Glencoe. Now, this is going to start off with just a storytelling. And it won't take very long because it's a pretty straightforward affair. Or is it? That's what we're going to go into after I tell you, especially those of you who are new to Scottish history, and maybe you've heard about the Massacre of Glencoe and but don't know very much about it. Or maybe you've been neck deep in Scottish history for years now, we're going we're gonna to take this event, as tragic as it was, and we're going to, like a gem, we're going to hold it up to the light and let the light play off the different facets of it, and maybe we can get a more clear understanding of what was really going on here. There's not much to report as far as comments or discussions on the Facebook page, or the Facebook group, rather. It's going on. Uh, but there was not any specific questions on any topics that I thought, wow, that's just, we've got to talk about that in the podcast. But um, the, people are joining our group on Facebook. It's called Scottish Clans, pretty straightforward. People are joining, I wouldn't say in masses, but very consistently. My phone's constantly giving me updates saying, hey, you've got a few people waiting for your approval to join. And I try to set it up so that anybody can approve new members, but I don't know. Maybe I'm only seeing a, a fraction of that. There we go. My music kicked on on my Pandora. So there's a little background music for you. So anyway, so yeah, I didn't see anything there, but the, the group is growing and people are joining saying, hey, any McIntyres out there? Any Gordons? Grams? Macintoshes? And people chiming in, hey, this is my surname, or this is a name in my family tree that's from Scotland. What clan are we connected to? And so I don't even have to be the one that responds to a lot of those. I've got other people that are jumping in, and if I've got something to contribute, I will. But, but uh, I'm just grateful to see the dialogue going on, and, and especially not just the dialogue between me and the listeners, but I'm, I'm, I love it when I see the members of the group interact with each other and answer each other's questions. I think that's very satisfying. Anyway, so since there wasn't a lot of questions to respond to or, or anything like that, we're going to jump into the Massacre of Glencoe. All right, so I'm going to tell you the very, very simple version of the story. But then 
when I'm done, we're going to add some more details that I think are very interesting and, and that actually quite uh, bear, bear quite a um, influence on our understanding of what really happened. So the, it's, in the, it's in the early 1690s, all right? So this, this episode is, is fairly late occurring in the Scottish clan history. So for those of you who watched the Outlander series, the, the people who are, the, the characters that are represented during the time period that the Outlander is taking place, this, th there would be people still alive at that time who, who were alive also during the Master of Glencoe, even though it was earlier, uh, maybe a generation earlier. So, yeah, maybe Jamie Fraser's parents would have been alive and in the same general part of Scotland that this took place. For those of you who are not acquainted with, uh, as we set the, create the setting for this story, so 16, early 1690s, also the geographical setting, for those of you who are not familiar with Scottish geography, Glencoe is a little side glen. So you, ha you have the what's known as the Great Glen. That's this big, huge, it looks like a, I think it's a fault, a fault line. But if you look at Scotland, especially at the Highlands, there's this southwest to northeast line drawn right through, diagonal through the Highlands. The northeast end of the Glen comes out by Inverness and the Murray Firth. And on the southwest end, you have Fort William and a sea loch that comes in and pushes into Scotland there. And right at that southwest end, there's a side glen that pokes off to the, kind of to the south, and that's Glencoe. And it was inhabited by a branch of the MacDonald clan. The MacDonalds were a very powerful clan, although by this time in history, they had really seen their heyday. In 1493, the Lord of the Isles, who was also the chief over all the MacDonalds, the, he had been stripped of his title as Lord of the Isles by the Scottish king because he was caught in a plot. And then as the 1500s commenced, you see infighting amongst the MacDonalds. You see inroads into their territory by the Campbells. And so here we are 200 years after the chief, the head chief of all the MacDonalds and their branches had lost the lordship of the Isles. And we have this branch of the McDonald clan in this little glen called Glencoe. If you look at it in pictures today, it actually looks pretty ominous. And maybe that's us taking what we know happened there and superimposing it on the landscape. But it's uh, a lot of the pictures that I've seen of it, I've never been there in person, but a lot of the pictures that I've seen are very... Um, they're this, this a very, very steep sides, rocky... Then the pictures that I've seen are there's usually clouds, some shadows playing over the the glen. It, it does look kind of an, like an ominous setting. But I imagine if you were a McDonald of Glencoe before this event happened, it was just home to you, and it wasn't ominous. It was it was your home, and it was not unlike any other glen or strath or valley or holler or whatever word you want to use in, in the highlands. That's just their home, home territory. Their chief, the chief of this branch of the McDonald's was named Alistair. Alistair McKeon, he went by. Because the, the chiefs of the clans sometimes had their own 
separate title in Gaelic that they would go by based off of another ancestor in their pedigree. You know, they all the McDonald's claim descent from Donald, who was the grandson of Summerled. But there might be somebody farther, closer in the family tree to you that was an, a notable ancestor. And so some of the Highland chiefs would take their name from him instead of the one that the whole clan took their name from. Another example of that, as the Campbells are going to be part of the story, is the Campbell chiefs, the earls of Argyle. So they were the chiefs, the chiefs over all of the different... The Campbells were similar to the McDonald's in that they had a lot of branches who became clans in their own right. But the Earl of Argyle, the chief over all of the Campbells, he was known in Gaelic as MacCollin Moore, or son of Great Colin. It doesn't matter how many gener generations removed they were from this Great Colin. They were all, all these chiefs were known as Co the son of Colin Moore. Okay, so similar to that, you had Alistair McIan, because he was descended from an Ian, or that's the Gaelic for, for John, or more accurately in Gaelic, Yoin. So Alistair McIan was the chief of the Glencoe McDonald's. And a few years prior to this, you'd had William of Orange take the place of King James Stuart. I believe it was James II, not James II of Scotland. If you look that up, you'll find a different person in a completely different time period. Because James the Sixth of Scotland inherited the throne upon Queen Elizabeth's death and became James the First of England, and so this is a few generations removed from him. And this is James the Second. He was kicked out of England. They'd had enough of him and his Catholic ways, and they welcomed in a Protestant, King William, William of Orange, who was a Dutchman and married into the, the Stuart dynasty. Well. His, his a, a decree went forth in the highlands amongst the chiefs specifically because this had been a, a troublesome area as far as loyal, loyalty to the crown. The decree was that the highland chiefs will swear loyalty to William of Orange, their new king, by, and no later than, January 1st. In fact, if you're doing it on January 1st of 1692, you're too late. You needed to do it by, the, by New Year's Eve, or the decree said the, some, something to the effect of the full weight of the law will be, the, the most extreme measures of the law will be taken against you. And by that, basically, that means they're going to burn and destroy their way through your clan's territory if your chief doesn't swear loyalty in time. Well... This Alistair McKeon, the chief of the McDonald's of Glencoe, he did not get the memo until December 28th. <laughs> that doesn't give him very long to make this happen. So, the nearest uh, main point of royal government within the Highlands, the closest one to him, is Fort William. And the governor, now I was looking at this as a guy by the name of Hill, Lieutenant Colonel Hill, was there as the governor. I don't know what he's the governor of specifically. He was not the commander of, the, of Fort William. That was somebody else we'll mention in a little bit. But that's who Alistair McKeon found and 
admit and gave his oath to his oath of loyalty to William of Orange, only to be regretfully informed by this Colonel Hill that he's this is not the right time, uh, they're not not the right place that he can do it. He needs to travel south to Inverary and there administer his oath to the Sheriff of Argyle, who happened to be a Campbell. All right, so he, even though he knows he's going to be late, he still sets out from Fort William, traveling south through rugged terrain in the middle of winter to administer this oath. Well, of course, he gets to Inverary late, several days late, and one source I read said that he was actually detained by um, government troops that were under Argyle leadership, and and then so he was even later getting to Inverary, which, like I said, is the the main seat of Campbell power. That is the residence of the Earl of Argyle, at least one of his residences, but the the main one. And if you don't know anything about Scottish history, specifically Highland history, the McDonald's and the, and the Campbell's, that's one of the biggest feuds that Scotland has ever seen. In fact, in the 1640s, so maybe a couple generations earlier than, than this story is taking place, when the whole of Britain was in turmoil, and the you had Oliver Cromwell and the parliamentarians, and you had the royalists fighting each other. It was a, a civil war throughout Britain. You had, in this particular part of Scotland, you had... So, so keep in mind that the McDonald's had territory in Northern Ireland. It had been established there for several generations by this point. It had become quite powerful in Northern Ireland. Well, you had Alastair McCullough, who showed up in the Western Highlands from Northern Ireland with his own clansmen, the McDonald's, and many of their Irish allies, and laid waste to Campbell territory. So, if the Campbells and McDonald's didn't hate each other before this, then they sure did by this point. But really, they did, because this was just basically royal sanction for a feud that had been going on for a while. You had this happen, actually, and there's a lot of instances of this happening in the Actually, in the United States, the, during the American Revolution, you'd had people who were already enemies, whether it was individuals or actually whole families, and they took opposite sides, and now they had license to go kill each other. The same thing happened during the Civil War. Different families or individuals who've got a beef with each other join different sides. Uh, regardless of what those sides in the big picture are fighting for, you had their own personal little vendettas. Well, that's what was going on at this time in the 1640s. So all that helps us provide context for what's going on in the 1690s, the early 1690s. Well, eventually Alastair McKeon makes it to Inverary. When he gets there, he has to wait a few more days for Colin Campbell of Ardkingless, who's the sheriff of Argyle, to arrive, who may have been intentionally holding back and letting Alastair McKeon sweat it out. But he finally arrives, takes the oath, in time. Well, not in time, but here's the deal. Alastair McKeon was given, he kept record. 
whether it was from Colonel Hill or Colin Campbell there in Inverary, he had something that he had actually sworn allegiance. I know he had something like that from Colonel Hill in, in Fort William. I'm not sure what he got from Colin Campbell, but Colin Campbell sent him on his way. Well, not very long later, so, so he did swear fealty or loyalty, but, but he was late in doing it. And about a month later, the McDonald's of Glencoe find a group of government troops entering into their, their Glen. And they, they ask Alistair McKeon for, for a quarter there as there's no room at Fort William. Just to give you a visual picture, Alistair McKeon. Alistair McKeon was an old school Highland chief. He was, he was, you, you might say, what one, one phrase I've heard is he still had the bark on him. He wasn't, he wasn't by any means refined. He was a known and uh, he was a known cattle thief. Now, keep in mind that during the Highlands, they looked at this in the Highlands, not during the Highlands, but in the Highlands, they looked at stealing cattle a little bit different than maybe we do today or in other times and places throughout history. Stealing cattle had a, had a very long history. In fact, if you go clear back, if you're in the, the culture of the Gales, you can go clear back to the legend of Cúchulain and the, the Tanbo Cúlainne, the uh, cattle raid of Cúlí. That was all about a cattle raid. One of the most famous Gaelic legends ever was about a cattle raid from one kingdom into another. And that was in Ireland, but still, that was the kind of tales that the Highlanders were raised on. They they learned up learning. They 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 grew up learning about cattle raids and Cúchulain and other cattle raids since then, and sometimes in recent memory. And not only was it a way to increase your own herd, but it was a way to test the strength of your neighbors. And it also gave them an opportunity to demonstrate their strength. You see, if one clan pushed into another's territory, took off with their cows, and there was no response, there was no retaliation, there was no effort to recover those, that, the, the cattle, then the one clan and everybody around them would know that this might be a time of weakness for the, the clan that lost the cattle. On the other hand, if the clan who was, had the cattle stolen from them responded vigorously and with violence and got their cattle back or was, were able to kill a number of the enemy, that would not just be a message to the, to the aggressors, but it would also be a message to surrounding parties that this clan was vigorous, was under good leadership, was capable of defending its territory. And that was actually at the heart of the job of a clan chief, preserve the honor of the clan and protect them. All right, so Alistair McKeon, in, in stealing cattle from neighboring clans, he was carrying on something that was not looked at the same way as just common crime is in today's society. But try telling that to the people who lost their cows. All right, so they, these government troops show up in this in the, the, this Glencoe, 
And there's Alistair McKeon, the old school, hardened clan chief with his long flowing white hair and long mustache. Just every inch of him, what you picture when you, when you think of a Highland clan chief. Well, here's the deal. Like I said earlier, they said, look, there's no room at Fort William. We need to stay here. Now, it wasn't just, hey, we're under the orders of the king and you need to be loyal. Also, this was a way that could substitute for paying taxes if you quartered government troops. And so the McDonald's took them in and they entertained them. They sheltered them. They fed them for about two weeks. Some sources I've, I've read said it was maybe slightly less than two weeks. Others maybe, maybe slightly more. We're not sure exactly when the, the uh, order was given or when, when, they, and when they exactly showed up in Glencoe, these government troops. And so for that time, things went pretty well. And actually, the rank and file of this force, which was led by Campbell's, got along really well with the, their McDonald hosts. Even though these, these two clans had been at feud for generations, things were going really well. Until the order came. You see, the government was not going to let the, the McDonald's of Glencoe get away, even though they'd, their chief had swore, sworn loyalty to William of Orange, the new king. They did it late, and we're going to make an example out of them. And a letter came to the commander of these government troops, Robert Campbell of Glen Lyon, saying, you're to carry out your orders. In, and I don't know if it told him exactly when, what time to do it. He ended up doing it 5 o'clock in the morning on February 12th. While most people who especially live a rural lifestyle, um, especially if you're not a dairy farmer, dairy farmers, you wake up early. But on cattle ranches... Unless you've got a specific task that is time-sensitive that needs to be done in that morning, generally are not up that early, having worked for many years on a cattle ranch. Um, we weren't up every morning that early. Sometimes there was some work to do and you just needed to get up early. But five in the morning, generally people are asleep. And that's exactly how these troops found them. See, Robert Campbell issued the order amongst his men to execute. And when I say execute, I don't just mean carry out the orders. I mean start executing people. They started five five o'clock in the morning on February twelfth. They started killing, and the killing began, or had begun, and and continued until there were thirty eight people dead. And that wasn't it to the casualties. You see, in this middle of winter, as people are trying to flee the violence, they fled out into these winter conditions. Well. The north part of the Glen, which is the easiest way out, was blocked by other government troops. So they had to head up over a, a pass that led up and over and down onto the other side into another clan's territory and take shelter there. And in the exposure, many, many more died. We don't know the numbers exactly, but the numbers that I've seen were around 100 people. Now, I don't know if that 100 includes the 38 who actually perished by the government troops at the government troops' hands or if that is just the ones who died by getting kicked out into the, the cold winter, early, early morning. Anyway, so that's quite a big death toll. 
And, and there you have the massacre of Glencoe, the government using the Campbells as their agents to teach these McDonald's of Glencoe, known disturbers of the peace in their cattle raiding antics under their chief, Alistair McKeon. They taught him a lesson. This new king's not going to take any of your garbage. You better line out because there's a new sheriff in town to, to use a old Western term. Okay, well, let's, let's take this story and let's actually dive into a few more details because this story has been, it's been promoted as a, or, or the story has been told as a, another, just yet another episode in the McDonald-Campbell feud that's been going on for generations. In fact, I just barely read in the reading and preparing for this episode that there was there's a building there in Glencoe to this day. I don't know if it's a visitor center or what, what it was, but it's on the front it says no Campbells. Because the massacre of Glencoe definitely has the Campbell's face on it. So let's take a look at some of the details and let's decide, is this really a, a Campbell, another episode in the Campbell McDonald feud? My my argument's going to be that it was not. And why is that? Well, let's look at some of the people who are involved. Where did the order start? The Campbells, I think it's important to bring up, were not the authors of this order. Nope, that honor, or otherwise, belongs to, or I probably blame would be a better word. I, I said honor sarcastically in case you didn't catch that in the tone. But that, uh, that blame would go to John Dalrymple, who was the, the Lord Stare, and he was the Secretary of State for William of Orange, especially in Scotland. Now, keep in mind, the Act of Union hadn't happened yet, so Scotland and England are still different countries, even though they share a ruler. So, Secretary of State John Dalrymple, Lord Stare, he was the one who came up with this plan, put it down on paper as an official order, got William of Orange to sign it, and then made sure, and then started communicating with military commanders on the ground who would be the ones who would carry out this, this order. So we can probably trace a lot of the blame back to him. And even though William of Orange signed the order, William, Orange, William of Orange was much more concerned with what was going on between England and France than he was with what was going on up in the highlands of Scotland. Even though his wife traced her roots back there. But after several generations, I don't really know... I don't really know... And I have, this is something I haven't got into, how closely the Stuarts identified with Scotland as... As, who, as their identity, because as soon as James VI inherited the throne of England, he moved south because that was like getting a promotion. England was a far more wealthy country, and he's like, I'm out of here. So he set up court in London pretty quick, and so subsequent generations of stewards, that, this particular branch of the stewards, would have been raised in England to include William of Orange's wife. So, yeah, William of Orange... What was going on in the Highlands, the McDonald's of Glencoe, I'm not really sure that he cared about them that much. But I do know that John Dalrymple hated the McDonald's of Glencoe. He was probably also aware, as it would have been hard not to be, of the feud between the McDonald's and Campbell's. All right, so 
John Dalrymple communicates with with uh, different military commanders, giving them their orders, and we actually have some of these communications, and that's how we know that John Dalrymple had it out for the McDonald's of Glencoe, and he wasn't the the McDonald's of Glencoe weren't the only ones. See, just up the Great Glen. Remember, I talked about that huge glen that cuts, kind of runs, cuts the Highlands in half. Just up that glen a little ways, you have the McDonald's of Glengarry, another branch of the McDonald clan who had become a clan of their own. And they also were pretty active in uh, the Highland ways, we could call it. And they were definitely on John Dalrymple's radar. But you can tell from his language that he has no love for the McDonald's of Glencoe for one reason or another. Let's talk about, I've mentioned a few other names. I mentioned Colin Campbell of Ard Kinglis, who would be the sheriff of, of Argyle at this time. And, and that's who Alistair McGeehan had actually sworn his oath to in, in Inverary. But I don't know that he had a ton of involvement in this after that. Another person that's really important to, to talk about is this is a Robert Campbell of Glen Lyon. I mentioned him earlier as the actual commander of the, the troops on the ground that carried out the massacre. Now, a little bit about him. I've read a couple of different things about him. I always like to give my listeners sources. Um, one of my sources that I read for this was uh, bbc.com. Well, it's not .com, bbc.co.uk, and that's where I found one entry for the Massacre of Glencoe. Another one is an actual book I have here, and I've mentioned this in previous episodes. I've used this before. It's called The Great Feud, The Campbells and the McDonald's by Oliver Thompson. And you really need, if you want to make a study of this, this event, you really need to cover different sources because what I've seen from getting a different sources is, is different aspects of this. Oliver Thompson paints this Robert Campbell of Glen Lyon, who was actual commander there in Glencoe of the troops who were slaughtering McDonald's, unprepared to fight McDonald's. And Thompson and some other sources that I, I saw mentioned that Robert Campbell, he's interesting because he was older than a usual military commander on this level. He's in his 60s. All right, so that's... And I don't know exactly how many men he had at his command there in Glencoe, but it, it's a smaller element than what you'd find a man of his age commanding. But he was... The problem was he, he couldn't just sit back in a life of luxury and ease because he had been completely ruined financially. Now, there's two different ways that I've read that he was ruined. One was repeated raids on his property by the McDonald's of Glencoe. That's what you'll find in Oliver Thompson's book. However, on the BBC website, it says that he was a gambler. Is it possible that these, uh, both of these things are true? I don't find them to be mutually exclusive, and they definitely could be. Anyway, what was the actual composition of the, the force that, that carried out the massacre in Glencoe? Because I think that's another thing. We've already seen that the, that the order didn't originate 
with with the Campbells. It originated with Lord Stair, John Dalrymple. Now, in the preparation for all this, the Earl of Argyle, so the chief of all the Campbells, and the Earl of Breadalbin, who is he's this is the first Earl of Breadalbin. Previous to this, these this branch of the Campbells have been the Campbells of Glen Orkey. So much geographically, much closer to the McDonald's of Glencoe. Now, some of you don't really care about the different titles and stuff, but I think that's significant to the story because it was the Campbells of Glen Orkey who were very close to the geographically to the McDonald's of Glencoe, and they probably had had their own territory um, raided by this this particular branch of the McDonald's. So that's significant here. Also, the first Earl of Breadalbin, this Campbell, he had become very p- powerful generally speaking, within Scotland, but also within the Campbell kindred, and may have been competing with the Earl of Argyll for dominance within the clan. Now, he hadn't achieved that yet, and for this, for this particular um, item of business, he found it expedient to agree and to be on the same side with the Earl of Argyll. So you had two very powerful men within the, the Campbell clan who were brought on board with this undertaking before it was carried out. And Robert Campbell of Glen Lyon, Glen Lyon is in that territory that the Earl of Breadalbin would have been responsible for. The Campbells had had a presence there for a while up to the, before this point. All right, so we've got, but we've got the Earl of Argyle, we've got the, the Earl of Breadalbin on board, but still not the ones carrying it out. They're going to have their man, Robert Campbell of Glen Lyon, do it. But, okay, so they didn't. the Campbells didn't think of this whole plot. But what about the people actually carrying it out? Was this a force of Campbells? Like I said, it's often portrayed as a, another episode in the Campbell-McDonald feud. Let's look at the, the, com, uh, the composition of the forces that carried out the massacre. I'm going to actually quote straight from Oliver Thompson's book here. I'm going to quote the last three paragraphs that are in this book. He says, quote, <coughs> pardon me, not part of the quote, quoting now, the final mystery about Glen Lyon is, given the fact that he did so totally, that he did so totally deceive the unsuspecting McDonald's and therefore take them so utterly by surprise, why did he not do a better job of exterminating them? He's talking about Robert Campbell of Glen Lyon. Back to the quote, despite Glen Lyon's huge advantages of trained soldiers and complete surprise, only about 38 McDonald's were killed and at least 300 escaped over the hills. In parentheses, some died of exposure. He had not obeyed his orders very thoroughly. Indeed, he had left alive people who could act as witnesses of the way he had behaved. And he managed to lose three of his own men as well. Of the roughly 150 men who took part in the massacre, okay, so there's the answer to the previous question, stopping the quote, he had 150 men underneath him, which is, that's like in today's military, and I don't know how closely this correlates to their size of their elements back then, but that today in the, in the army, that's a little bit bigger than a company, all right? So he's like a company commander plus, which he's, that's pretty old for a company commander, So back to the quote, of the roughly 150 men who took part in the massacre, under 10% were Campbells, but these included the commanding officer, two junior officers, and a corporal. 
There is no doubt that several other Campbells contributed to the atmosphere that led to the massacre. Archibald, Earl of Argyle, Grey John, Earl of Breadalbin, and Colin Campbell of Ardkinglis, Sheriff of Argyle. But at least one MacDonald had also contributed to it. Alistair, 12th Chief of Glencoe, with his 40 years of plundering and a last piece of very careless paperwork. Paul Hopkins has summed it, up all, has summed it all up very well. The massacre was carried out by one group of Highlanders in another, on another, upon orders given by a Scottish Secretary of State, countersigned by a Dutch king. The big difference between this and numerous other massacres was that, for political reasons, it was well publicized and subsequently, for different motives, sentimentalized as the self-pitying element of Highland culture came to replace the vigor and bravado of earlier years. Okay, unquote. So, in, in Oliver Thompson's opinion, it looks like he thinks that Alastair McKeon had, had provoked the Campbells plenty up to this point and says it was uh, one group of Campbells upon another, except for, or one group of Highlanders, sorry, that was his, one group of Highlanders upon another. Now, he mentions there, though, that only 10% of this group were Campbells. Now, in other sources, I found out that the rest of the men, because they, and I wasn't able to find the exact source with all the exact names of these guys on there, so, but these were men taken from Campbell territory, even though they weren't Campbells. So they might, may have been responding to this call-up in a, in a more political way rather than a kin-based way. So that really erodes the clan, the clan feud quality of this, even though that may have contributed to it. So I'm not going to say altogether that this was not part of a clan feud and that this was absolutely had nothing to do with clan uh, being a clan battle and it wasn't really a battle killing people in their beds is not much of a battle but i do think that it is it's not a clan battle in the same way as the battle of lochlachy or blarnalania in its gallic term uh, gallic title the battle of the shirts the, the field of the shirts you know, that was an actual clan battle. And I have a previous episode if you haven't listened to it on that. And, you, and you'll be able to recognize it by its title, Battle of the Shirts or Blarnalania. So, yeah, that was an actual clan battle with just one clan against another with allied clans on each side just having at it. The government having very little to do with what was going on. In my mind, this is principally a government action. But the government was always quick to use rivalries that already existed. And they did exist. And that was a real element here between the Campbells and the McDonald's. Even though a very small proportion of these actual men on the ground were Campbells. So the rest were taken from Campbell lands, even though they didn't maybe personally have anything against the McDonald's of Glencoe. Now, I want to actually add... so we. So you got, you got so I'm kind of trying to pile all these things, these factors up here. That this was this plot was not hatched by Campbells, but the Campbells were party to it. They were willing. It was carried out by Campbell leader and some subordinate leaders who were Campbells, but the main force thereof was not completely Campbells. In fact, not even close. Like the majority of them weren't Campbells. Here's another little interesting tidbit on this. Those people who escaped out into the the wide open winter uh, landscape, and they couldn't f flee out the north end because that was 
blocked. So they fled south, up and over a pass and down into another glen. Guess whose territory that is? Guess, guess amongst whom this group of refugees found, found their, uh, their, their sucker, their aid. Guess who took them in and prevented more from dying? Campbell's. This, this would have, th them fleeing up and over that and down into another valley or another glen would have put them square in Campbell territory amongst other Campbells. Now, I don't know for sure that every single person who opened up their home to a fleeing McDonald was an actual Campbell. Because keep in mind, just because it's in Campbell territory doesn't mean it's a homogenous society of only one kindred. But I do know that that puts them in Campbell territory. And it was people in that territory who were taking these McDonald's in and preventing a further loss of life. That's interesting. Here's another interesting part of this. There's some evidence that McDonald of Glengarry, once again, the McDonald's of Glengarry, just another branch of the big, huge McDonald clan, just a little bit farther up the Great Glen from the McDonald's of Glencoe, the chief of the Glengarry McDonald's knew about this order before Alistair had. Now keep in mind, all of these, the, Alistair, the McDonald's of Glencoe, the McDonald's of Glengarry, were loyal to the Jacobites because, you know, keep in mind, Jacobite, Jacobite, in case you didn't know, comes from the Latin for James, which actually, that would have been the original. The English for, for Jacob or Jacob is James. And so those people who supported James Stewart, like I mentioned earlier, the one who was pushed out in favor of William of Orange, they were known for their loyalty to this James as Jacobites. And that would include these McDonald's. Now, those Jacobite clan chiefs were waiting on something. Those other, you know, any any of the Jacobite clan, clan chiefs who responded to this order to swell, swear loyalty to William of Orange, they'd actually waited. They'd written to the exiled King James II and had requested permission, so that if he ever came back and got power again, he would not hold them as traitors. They requested permission to sign this oath of loyalty to William of Orange. And that's, that's actually a major reason why the, that, that you had people swearing the oath late. Now, my understanding is that MacDonald of Glengarry sat on that response from James saying, no, you're okay, go ahead, sign the oath. He sat on that and didn't let his kinsman down the glen, Alastair McKeon, know about it until very late in the game. And the, the implication here being that there's a little bit maybe of a power struggle going on between these two branches of the MacDonald clan who happen to be of different faiths. You see, the MacDonalds of Glencoe were Episcopalian, while the MacDonalds of Glengarry were still Catholic. So you actually have a little bit of a... This is, this, you see, it's so much more complicated than a Campbell-McDonald feud. So many other moving parts to this story. Uh, you have this, this element of infighting within the McDonald's, which if you actually take that, and whether, 
we're, we're just looking at implications here and maybe a little bit of speculation. I want to make that clear. But it is a known fact that throughout earlier generations, the McDonald's, one reason that they lost power to the Campbells who rose at their expense was that they could not pull together the same kind of unity that the Campbells did. And here we see possibly some of that going on. Another thing that's interesting is that the McDonald of Glengarry, that chief, he did not swear his oath of loyalty till after McKeon, Alistair McKeon of Glencoe. Yet he was spared this type of treatment by the government. Isn't that interesting? Anyway, so, well, that's all we have for this particular story. And I'll leave you to decide. I've presented you as much information as I could about this particular topic. Um, no, well, that's not true. We could start getting into some scholarly stuff here, but um, I think the point is covered. We've introduced a lot more details and factors going on to this, this event. And I think we've talked about the ones that are important to decide whether you think that this was just a straight-up Campbell-McDonald feud. So, you know what? If you've got a personal opinion about this, and even if it's different than mine, which, no, this wasn't just a straight-up Campbell-McDonald feud. This was, in my head, this is more of a government, we've, we're out to get you, McDonald's. Yeah, I mean, just going back, before I can continue that thought, just going back on that, the, the evidence is that Lord Stair, John Dalrymple, he, he was planning something against the McDonald's of Glencoe, whether they swore the oath on time at the right place or not. He was, he was going to do something. He, he just did not like these people, and, and he was going to use this as the excuse that he needed. Um, I, I would really see this as this is one guy in government who maybe leveraged in some animosity that already existed against Alistair McKeon and his Glencoe boys to carry out his own personal his own personal uh, uh, animosities. Anyway, that's my argument. If you've got a different argument, I'm all about it. You know what? I love freedom and I love being able to disagree with people. So if you see this differently or you agree and you want to maybe add some of your own thoughts to it or maybe some information that you think I missed or whatever, you want to contribute or ask more questions, maybe this got your brain turning and you've got more things going on now and you've got to find out, go to our Facebook group called Scottish Clans or you can leave me a comment on Podbean. You can do that on podbean.com. Search for the Scottish Clans podcast on there or you can use the Podbean app, which is what I use a lot on my phone. Or you can also contribute your feedback by going to Apple Podcasts and leaving me a review on there with as many stars as you feel fit. Um, I I've, haven't seen anything recently on there. There's, there's activity. The, the, listen, the, the downloads are going well and the activity on Facebook is going well, but the Apple Podcasts, I don't see very much on there. But that's, I just want to let you know that that's another, you know, where I rank on Apple Podcasts. I don't know if I have seen why that matters a ton to me, but I'm just letting you know that's another venue or another platform that you can use to contribute feedback because you can give stars and then you can actually leave your written comments for it. So one, one other invitation, share this podcast with somebody you think would be interested in it. Thanks for joining me today. And until next time, Marshen Lev Andrasta. <laughs>